Hey everybody, this is Michael Stiles. Welcome to another episode of The Good Brew Podcast. Guys, on today's episode, we are going to be talking about... Hell. (laughs) We need to edit in the sound of flames crackling right there. We are not making light of a very morbid reality. No, we are not. We're only uh, illustrating what it could be like. That is Philip Burns, for those of you who are wondering whose lustrous voice that is. Is that a word, lustrous? It is a word. I don't know if that's in the right context. Illustrious. Well, speaking of Philip Burns, let's go ahead and introduce everybody sitting around the table. On my right, we have... Phil, Phil Esophical Burns. If you were with us on our last episode, we learned how to get a little Phil Esophical. And I guarantee you that won't be the last time. Philip, how are you today, man? I'm doing good. Enjoying this nice brew that we will learn what it is. Well, we'll get there. In a little bit. Oh, no. I thought he was going to say good. Oh, he was wanting to say it's a good brew. Never mind. That's, that's very cheesy of you, Jordan. Well, if you're cheesy. wondering who's just throwing in his thoughts in the conversation there, that is Jordan White. Jordan, how are you? Give the people what they want. I would be better if that joke landed. Who says it didn't? In fact, I think I we've, don't know. we've you created didn't give him a chance to answer. We've created more. Oh, your joke to him. I thought you meant me right there. Oh. Sorry. And on my left, Justin the Juice Harris. <laughs> now I'm OJ, man. <laughs> The juice. How are you, Justin? I'm good, man. Bring in the juice. Well, I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for asking. Um, <laughs> no one cares about you. <laughs> no one cares about me. Well, I hope that I hope that our listeners do care a little bit. Today, we are drinking from some Rwanda coffee. I, I, I think I mentioned this last episode. I joined the Atlas Coffee Club, and I really like their coffee. They just send you, um, you know, you kind of tell them what you, what you like a little bit, and I'm just making assumptions for... I paid for it, so I just made assumptions for the rest of you guys. I hope you like the same kind of coffee that I like. If not, just let me know and I can change it one episode. I've been getting kind of like a medium roast. Strike that. Light. I think I have light, but this is a medium roast and I'm really liking it. Um, This coffee is from Rwanda. And actually, I want to hear you guys' thoughts. Before I read the tasting notes, what do you guys taste in this coffee? It's a medium roast. I'm just kind of... Take a sip and just let it sit for a second, and I'll shut up. It's hard to discern the flavors in this. It's like yep. very balanced. Philip, yeah. my boy, my boy, Philip. For the untrained tongue, of course. <laughs> <laughs> not applying to you. Okay, feel, so I'm feeling very naughty. so. What? But okay, so you've talked about maybe what you don't feel in there. So what? Any taste or how did it feel? Kind of on your tongue. It's very smooth. Yeah, which would make like a balanced palate coffee or a balanced flavor portfolio would taste smooth right it wouldn't be bitter like the bitter the more bitter coffees would probably have more of one or the other right right Right. well i think at the end of the day it's all subjective but probably most aficionados would say yeah it's just a smooth cup and it's just smooth i really enjoyed that yeah Yeah. as one of those aficionados i would agree Um, what do you what do you what do you honestly i don't know but this is i will say this is better than all Kingdom the other coffees. I, no, it's not better than Kingdom Bros. It's not better than the Haitian coffee that your girlfriend brought, Jordan. But other than those two, it is it is the best of any other That's ones we've I, I told you guys that this was... When I texted you guys about this coffee, I said it was G-O-double-D. I meant to say double O-D, so this coffee is God. <laughs> but, so, yeah, I mean, just throw some... Uh, throw a... 
first thing, what does it remind you of the first thing that you, when you taste that? Well, is it chocolate? There's a little bit of a first. Yes. Okay. So Look one at that. The, Who's the official? There's three, that's what I was thinking. There's that's three tasting notes on here. They always have three tasting notes. Uh, like, well, most people assign three tasting notes. Chocolate, for sure. There's It's chocolate. Now, regardless of if it tastes like chocolate, it feels like yes. chocolate in your mouth. Yeah, yes. it's smooth. Or as Andy would say on The Office... It feels like there's no molasses in here, but it feels like molasses is coming out your mouth if you're from Savannah. To our Savannah listeners, welcome. Well, I don't think we have um, any Okay, I'll, I'll speed this up. A little bit of fruitiness, but it's kind of a dark. I would assume this would be a dark fruit. Raspberry is that like a dark fruit? This the last one, red wine. So we've got milk chocolate, red wine, and raspberry. Again, these not necessarily. I can taste, I can see all of that but, in there. But yeah. I can I can imagine what all three of those combined with taste like and it's probably what this cup of coffee is like so again today we are talking about hell <laughs> we're talking about hell and we're gonna I think mainly focus on hell i i don't think we'll get into heaven really i i mean i think we should keep it streamlined on hell but i want to kick off the conversation with the fact that um i think we mentioned all the way back in either episode one one of the first couple episodes but we are so used to putting heaven and hell together. That's kind of our uh, yin and yang, our white and black, that kind of thing. Those are the opposites that we see so often, that we use so often in our um, our culture of church and our terminology. But the Bible isn't really concerned about that. They are really concerned about heaven and earth. So would y'all agree? Let's kick that yeah, dichotomy think, out of the, uh, the table. I think there's a lot of commentary outside the Bible about hell but there's very little material to go off of yeah. in the Bible about hell. So that I'm, what I'm, I'm not saying hell doesn't exist. I'm just saying Would that... Would you say, oh, hell no? <laughs> I, I think what I'm saying is a lot of the commentary around the idea is just commentary. It's right. not. It doesn't bear witness necessarily to what is biblically accurate. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. So that's not to say there isn't nuggets of truth in the commentary over the centuries about it, but I think discerning what is the clearest picture of that reality is uh, not as easy as one would think. Or Of just saying heaven and hell, or that kind of thing. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's important to say that hell isn't heaven. Sure. Right? Sure. So uh, <laughs> Don't equate them. Vice versa. So, yeah, there's not as much biblical material as one would probably think there right, is about right. this subject just says there's not a lot about heaven really i yeah, mean yeah. The, of what we know as the both the intermediate state and the final you know kind of state. the mainline popular conceptions of both both are beyond what the bible yeah there's witness to explicitly exactly yeah. right i think so, that's the key thing yeah. explicitly i mean i would say i guess yeah that heaven and earth are the two that are conjoined in scripture but that doesn't that's a good word that doesn't mean though that there's not a parallel or thought uh, the c- concept of heaven and hell are linked in places in scripture i mean especially obviously when you're talking about judgment so there is a parallel between the two and in, in as far as you know specifically when jesus begins speaking about the judgment of man so yeah but i would agree with you that heaven and earth are the two that are the main thread through the bible yeah the the rejoin and, and that's the the rejoining of heaven and yeah. earth like we talked about in our story our act, right. act series about the story of the bible yeah which I don't think we brought hell up once in that. Not to say that it's not part of the equation, yeah. but well, if well, anything, it, that that illuminates what we're trying to say right now is that the primary 
thrust of the story right. is this rejoining of God's right. reality and, and our reality. But there is, and that's what. But we needed to do an episode on this because it is something yeah. that the Scripture does yes. bear witness to as a real thing. But we need maybe not in the way that we're traditionally thought. We need well, to, we need to we flesh need to, it out. We need to flesh it out. Maybe establish some new boundary markers around yeah. what we can know about it just right. from the Scriptures. Yeah. Well, I figure what could be good would be to start kind of looking progressively throughout the Bible and, and kind of looking, you know, Old Testament, intertestamental, and then how it all kind of develops in the New Testament. I think that would be the best way to go about it. Any thoughts towards what we see about hell in the Old Testament? Um, I'll kick off kind of by saying from what I've read and both in the Bible and other sources, there is a scholarly agreement that the Old Testament has very little, if any, to say about not just, I mean, the concept of the afterlife in general, but specifically hell. Yeah, so there's hell as we conceive it, you know, 2,000 years after the events in the New Testament. That category of hell, the Old Testament has very little to say about. There right. is the idea, though, that was not necessarily unique to Jewish worldview, Haiti, you know, that the idea of this uh, place where if you die, you just kind of are there. The Sheol. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's that it wasn't conception. Bad nor no, no, I good. think it was just the holding place of the dead, right? But that it wasn't a place you wanted to it go. It wasn't a forever, a desirable no. existence. I mean, and that's right. there are passages, I think, that would indicate that it's not a place you want to be in. And you could, we could look at some of those if we want, but there is an idea that there is an... Well, you don't want to be dead. Well, yeah, and there there, there is also the idea that... I, I hesitate to use the word the devil, right, because I'm reading, but the idea that there is a spiritual leader of... of darkness that is cast down sure. into in Sheol. And in, in, right. in that, it's this uh, framing around the side of the king of Babylon, but commentators would say there's multiple layers to that. But I guess I would want to push back just a bit. Not, I would agree that the idea that is commonly that we think of hell, I think maybe we should look at it just from this angle really fast, is when we hear the word hell t- today, most of us have an image, and most of our listeners probably have images that jump in their mind. They're probably more influenced by pop culture or something like that than it is the Bible, right. especially when we look all the way just at the Old Testament. You know, you probably have images of devil running around with pitchforks and torture devices and just things like, like that. Just like little Nicky. Anybody see that movie? Gosh, I forgot about that. That was that was not one of his better ones. <laughs> Who was in that movie? Adam, Adam Sandler. Sandler. Oh, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, that was not one. Anyway, but. To say that hell is not in the Old Testament might be going a little bit too far because you're hell as a fully developed from what we would deem as like a fully developed conception of hell wasn't right there. Right. right. Yeah. 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 So I think it's just safe to say that the idea of hell really just like the idea of heaven, the idea, you know, it's it develops over the course of scripture. I mean, it fills in itself as revelation happens right. over the course of yes. redemptive history. so well, Yeah, because, I mean, I would say that, like, Sheol, you know, we see that the grave, whatever, you know, once the Greek Testament or the Septuagint comes around, it's Hades, but the idea, like you were saying, Justin, like, that's, like, the place where you go when you die, but you don't want to go there because you don't want to die. Right, because death is anti-creation. Mm-hmm. And so, so whatever domain represents right. anti-creation yeah. is where you don't want to go right. forever. And right. God can redeem you f- from it. Sure. But what is that doing, though? It's he's bringing you back to life. But so. I think there's a 
distinction that maybe we want to sharpen up between hell and Hades. Right. Hades is is a more Old Testament, or Hades is Greek. What Greek thought? That's the Sheol, but, right? But she, yeah, Hades Sheol and, is... Hades and Sheol would be very similar, similar right, right. ideas. It's a place of the dead. And in it's, fact, I'm sure the Septuagint, I'm not speaking, I don't have it in front of me, and if it did, it wouldn't really matter because I can't sight read it, but I would, I would assume... <laughs> That the Septuagint translates Sheol as Hades. I think it does. Probably, yeah. I would yeah. assume that. I mean, because we see Hades used in the New Testament, that, that word used, mm-hmm. right? But hell's not the same word. No, and that's why I would think we might want to sharpen that distinction up just a bit. Okay, it's likely there's continuity, but if you died during the Old Testament time period, in their mind, you didn't necessarily you went to Hades, or mm-hmm. yeah, 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 right. Mm-hmm. So, so it's sort of like the same. Concept of like purgatory, where you're just kind of no like a holding place. I am not a Catholic scholar. So is that I more can't. like purgatory is like where you wait to be judged versus no purgatory is a holding just, pattern for you, purging purging you. evil out of you so that gotcha. you can get to have, uh, go to heaven right. one day okay. versus this where Sheol is just like the grave that's just now, where you go. But, but to be to be fair, I guess with the idea of Hades, which is how in the New Testament, obviously very similar to. Sheol, there is an understanding of a different level within the grave. So, and by that, we know that places like Peter mentions Tartarus, for example, right. as a bad, that's the, the bad. If you look at hell or Hades in this case as the apartment complex. Well, I think, but that starts to develop. Tartarus, outs- Tartarus is not the place you want to go sure. to. Sure. But that develops in the second temple, right? Yes, I think the only thing you can really say in the Old Testament is Sheol is the reality that that's where the people go when they die. The unfaithful and the faithful. Everybody. Everybody. Right? Yeah, everybody. everybody goes right. there. But there is the hope that, of a day. Yes, and there is also the claim right. in the Old Testament, I think we would also want to say, that this is also where the rebel power of darkness yes. is going as well. Based on Isaiah 14. Is going or is already there? You could argue either but yeah, way. Yeah, okay. But has been cast down. Sure. So that this idea of... Satan in hell or in the grave is the seedbed is there for that in the Old yes. Testament. It's seed not is fully there. Seedbed so, is a good idea. So the idea term. is that even the faithful would go there with the hope that they'd be taken out of it. The eventually. hope of resurrection back to earth. Yeah. That God's love, it kind of develops in, throughout the Old Testament, but like you start seeing it in the Psalms that, that God's, even in the, even actually, I mean, Jesus would make the case, so I'm going to go with what he says. He argues the resurrection from the Torah. From what does he say? The God, God is the God of the living, not the dead. So this idea right. that God's love would even persevere after death for those who are faithful. So and then that then develops further when you get into the books like Daniel later in the Old Testament that the seedbed for a full fledged resurrection understanding then comes into play. So the idea that you would be raised, the faithful will be raised. And actually, then the unfaithful as well, but there will be a resurrection unto judgment then. Right. But that is not all laid out at the start. No. But even because even in the Daniel passage, it's still like everybody's in the same spot until mm-hmm. they're raised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But wait, what about that other portion of it that you were talking about? Which part? Uh, what you say, Tartarus? Or- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's um. That's like a portion. Tartarus is actually Greek. Hades. Yeah. So it's the and bad that's place. Where the- so like in, in so like Greek, if you were super duper bad, if you were super duper bad, you're in Tartarus. If you were super duper good or heroic in the Greek idea, you were in Elysium. So this is where the heroes would be. 
Elysian Fields. You've heard that phrase maybe in in, in Gladiator. In yeah, it's all in Gladiator, it's all through that. Walking so, through the fields of the yeah, but it's all the idea of you're in the underworld or you're in the grave, the afterlife. So and it begins to get differentiated. But that's even in the Greek Greco Roman idea. But so is that kind of where the idea of like heaven and hell came from? No. Yeah, well, but I think it's important. Well, because like you think of like different, one good, one bad. The, right. Yeah. The, so I think it seems fundamental to most religious systems for there to be a category of like, if my life was good, I go here. If my life was bad, I go here. Right. So that's that's present in Jewish thoughts. So I think it's just kind of fundamental to how God's wired the universe of, of desiring a place that you deserve. Well, yeah, I think the idea of justice. Right. Justice. That, right. That, that if there's a God, if there's a higher power, can actually yeah. the end count sort out yeah sort sort right. out the 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 mess right and i was reading something interesting when it talks about like in the psalms especially where it's like you know send the wicked down to sheol mm. like that sounds like um a, go to bat like send yeah, them to send a bad place yeah yeah but if yeah. everybody goes to sheol and they're in the old testament mindset it's like looking at the justice side of it of like the wicked get an early death yes like send them now. i think that which is why david at times is like you saved my life up from the pit in other words mm. you spared me you yeah. delivered me when my enemies were surrounding yeah. me or if you have jonah even jonah in yeah. the second chapter i was in the pit right in other yeah. words i was in the, i was at the door of the underworld and you rescued me i was me. knocking uh, i was, I about, was barred in which yeah. is yeah so yeah i think so and even that of like the Psalms where it's like, you know, when I wake and see your face, you know, you rescue me from the pit. It's like, it's that whole idea of being rescued from enemies, like Psalm 3 kind of idea. Yeah. So the idea of Hades or Sheol as the grave is kind of a, a catch-all. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to then add the layer on here of hell yeah. as a... Which, that sh- it shifts most dramatically in the New Testament. Oh, yeah. By the time you get the New Testament, something has changed. So I'm curious to know there. what the shift... I, right. This is my a question mark in my mind is what did it take Jesus showing up on the scene as God's representative of mm-hmm. kind of a, having access to how things really are kind of thing for him to to make that leap not a leap but like the shift so the shift he's like he's dialing in some right. categories of things he's dialing in of what does it mean to be in the kingdom of God and what does it mean to not represent and so what we find in the gospels is you have Jesus introducing Another word. I don't know. Is it Greek? Is Gehenna Greek? Gehenna is a. It is a Greek word. Okay, but the original term. Jesus didn't make the term up. It had already had currency in the culture, yeah. so it represented a physical reality that they would know. And this is the key yeah. to understanding hell is more than just a place for the for holding of the dead. This is where you get the idea of God's justice and God's judgment, mm-hmm. because Gehenna is a Greek word for a Hebrew. For the Hebrew Valley of Ben Hinnom, or son of son of Ben Hinnom, it's it's a uh, it's a place that has a very specific Old Testament referent, right? And that's going to be the key to understanding how Jesus is using the word. Because by the way, the word is used almost exclusively by Jesus. Yeah, right. So when when we see hell, that word in our is, Bibles, yes, in English, Bibles. Jesus is using that word. We don't right. see it really used by anybody else. Right. So it's going to be key to understand where in the world is he pulling that from. And right. to get there, we need to look at two places, Second Chronicles and Jeremiah 19. Second Chronicles 28 and then Jeremiah 19. So I was going to read the first one, four verses. It's talking about King Ahaz. So this is in Second Chronicles 28, verse 1. It says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. 
and he did not do right in the sight of the Lord as David his father had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He also made molten images for the balls. Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. Okay, that's the word Gehenna in Greek, which is where we get our word hell. In the valley of Ben-Hinnom and burned his sons in fire according to the Mm -hmm. abominations of the nations which the Lord uh, had driven out before the sons of Israel. He sacrificed and burned incense on high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. So we get that story of what he did, King right. Ahaz, king of Judah, in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. It's associated with child sacrifice, right. uh, worshiping foreign gods, right? So then Jeremiah comments on this, and it's the Lord speaking to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 19 of this exact place. And this is in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 19, which will really then, when you hear this passage, you're going to be like, okay, now I see what Jesus is doing. Jeremiah 19, verse 1, thus says the Lord, Go and buy a potter's earthenware jar and take some of the elders of the people and some of the senior priests. Then go out to the valley of Ben-Hinnom, which is by the entrance of the potsherd gate, and proclaim there the words that I tell you and say this, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to bring a calamity upon this place, at which the ears of everyone that hears of it will tingle. Because they have forsaken me and have made this an alien place and have burned sacrifices in it to other gods that neither they nor their forefathers nor the kings of Judah had ever known. And because they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, a thing which I never commanded or spoke of, nor did it ever enter my mind. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place will no longer be called Topeth, or the valley of Ben-Hinnom, but rather the valley of slaughter. I will make void the council of Judah and Jerusalem in this place, and I will cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies and by the hand of those who seek their life. I will give over their carcasses as food for the birds of the sky and the beasts of the earth. I will also make this city a desolation and an object of hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and hiss because of all its disasters." I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters, and they will eat one another's flesh in the siege and in the distress with which their enemies and those who seek their life will distress them. Yeah, so all of that imagery, every Jew at the time of Jesus would have had that kind of imagery in their being when he says Gehenna. Yeah, so basically he's saying... Those on my left and right, right? Those who are going to get tossed into hell. What he's saying, those you're going to be in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, mm. which you have now this Old Testament backdrop. Okay. Yes. So you, you, you begin to see here more of, it's not just here a place of the dead. This is, you're enduring the wrath of God. Sure. So that, that's where it's distinguished from Hades or Sheol. I always thought this is funny. It's described as a place of fire and total darkness. It's like, how do those correlate? You know, it's like... Yeah. Or seeing that as imagery of a reality of someplace like darkness, like the opposite of life, you know, yeah. the opposite of light and yeah. fire not being something that I personally want to be. Yeah. So <laughs> let's kind of recall, if we can, off the top of our heads, the times where Jesus use, uses this word. Oh, man. It's often quoted that Jesus is, Jesus talks about hell more than anyone else in the Bible, and it's true because he uses this idea, this this word, more than anyone else. Ooh. I will say this. Hell, to me, is not Jesus' focus. He's not saying walking around saying, believe in me or you'll go to hell. Not quite like that, but he is drawing a contrast of yeah. like, so like when he talks about 
narrow is the way that leads to life, but wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And he's not saying Gehenna, but he's he's inferring. Right. Everyone's on a trajectory. That's the key and thing. I, and this is not canonical, but C.S. Lewis, mm. I think mm-hmm. we're jumping way ahead into like some commentary about hell. But I think Lewis picks up on the idea of like, well, I don't know the exact quote, but he talks about how with the moment we're born or just in our lives, we're either becoming more of a hellish creature or a heavenly creature. Yeah, so you're on a trajectory. Everyone's on a trajectory. Now, as Christians, the only way to be on the trajectory to going to heaven or the new heavens, new earth is to orient oneself towards Jesus. Right. So, right. And I think, but I think he goes even deeper in the analogy, doesn't he? Of like, you're either on your way to becoming more truly human or like a beast. Yes, yeah, he feels that. Yeah, oh, sure. Yes, sure, it, sure. exactly. And so... And this is just a little historical side note. Jesus didn't... He, he wasn't pulling the stuff out of thin air. Like, this wasn't just something he... Right. Yeah, the second temple really yeah. fills it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's Tracking where... that progression. Right. So one of the images, you already mentioned this, Michael, that you see over and over and again in the New Testament, especially the first image that probably most people think of is fire. Mm-hmm. There's nothing of that in the Old Testament. Right. We see no fire imagery, but it's all over the second temple period. And especially... You see a little bit, I think, in Isaiah, like Isaiah 65, at the very end, I think. I don't know. Maybe it yeah. is there, but if it's there, it's very minimal. It's not the driving image. But the idea of, especially like Jesus says, the hellfire prepared for the devil and his angels. Like that's literally the phrase Jesus uses. Where is that? And that's coming from the second temple period. Right. And specifically... The book of Enoch is where it is. So can it, we can we kind of uh, help our listeners? So by Second Temple period, we mean period when? Uh, roughly, the period runs five hundred after the exile. There after this destruction yeah. of the Second Temple in the exile. So yeah. or the First Temple, sorry, which was Solomon's temple, the First Temple destroyed in five eighty six mm-hmm. BC up until the destruction of the second temple, which was 70 AD. AD, okay. So during the time of Jesus, I mean, he's a part yeah, of Yeah, Jesus is towards the end of the, the second, second temple. temple period, mm-hmm. yeah. So the book of Enoch, though, talks about, in the same some of the same language that Jesus uses, about hellfire and about right. this being a place where the leader of the rebel angels will be forever. And there's even ideas of torment and things like that. So he's not... Totally coming up with this stuff. Sure, yeah. It is important to say that. Yeah. Right. So the book of Enoch, though, certainly informs the way the New Testament writers are thinking about right. things. And, I mean, specifically with this, I mean, we we can draw the direct line between this kind of, or trace between the Old Testament development of, you know, Hades to the place then in the Second Temple period where this is clearly the place of punishment for these rebel uh, angelic powers. And then now Jesus shows up and says, you will be put in the place uh, that was prepared for the devil and his angels. And now that's, isn't that an interesting point that what we, what is hell wasn't, it sounds like originally prepared for humans. No. And that's, I think the key thing there is to, and I think one of the things that was, this was my second point I was going to make is to try to not think of hell as not that I'm not I'm not saying it's not spatial, but we so often want to focus on the idea of a place. Mm. And there is certainly I'm not saying there's not a place, but I, I think it's more it's of not a, at the center of the earth, most likely. No, probably not. It's, but the, the idea of a reality <laughs> of what point. is the reality of hell. Yes. And this is where Lewis does a f- better than yeah. anybody else I that I've read in developing the that. Great out. divorce. Great divorce, yeah. problem of pain, all those 
books where he traces that idea of hell being something that even people are in some ways experiencing it right now on earth. Mm-hmm. And this it's going to and the idea that I mean the presence of God is key in this. Just like when we say oh you're going to get to heaven, even that idea, well what is heaven? Well it's going to be you're in the presence of God. God's with us. He's dwelling with us now. And that's the idea, not just, oh, I'm going to get into this place, and they're going to let me in the door, right? Right. And then I've made it. But the idea is, I will be where God is, and I will be like him. And hell will be not where God is, and I will not be human anymore. Right. Going back to what I had said earlier about, you know, even in the Hebrew imagination, you know, Sheol was, the place of the dead was anti-creation, like death. Yes. So the idea of if the resurrection represents God's victory over death— then that means the trajectory of the faithful is an, is a place where death no, no longer reigns. Mm. So you are full, you are always becoming more and more of who you were meant to be. Whereas hell is where death reigns, so you're forever becoming less and less of what you're meant to be. So you're you, you know heaven or new heavens new earth you're you're becoming fully more and more fully human. Whereas hell you're becoming more and more beastly or inhumane and so mm. it really has to do with what's at the center of your orbit a very human person well, jesus right or yourself yourself yeah just to make sure we're being fair to the biblical witness there are verses that jesus uses the word Gehenna, you know the idea of hell and so you know obviously he did that to provoke a reaction and really an existential one to help orient his listeners towards a certain direction that wasn't that one Obviously, his voice, his his teaching, like orient your life around me. So, all in this conversation of hell, we want to just affirm that Jesus is the is the lamp, you know, the light post away from that trajectory. Yes. So, moving into outside of the Gospels, more you let's know, get philosophical. No, not quite. Not quite. No, no. Well, uh, but get, leave you on the edge of your seat. <laughs> sorry, uh, guys. Sorry, guys. So, like False the epistles, alarm. the letters, you know. Peter talks about hell. Paul, he talks about hell. Um, I think Paul is one of the only New Testament writers outside of Jesus. He may be the only one that uses the language of hell being an eternal place of torment. Uh, Uh, Now that brings up a question that we can... And that's a huge... That's one verse, and I've, I've always said, don't base a theology around one verse. So let's talk about... Paul is one of the only people that talks about hell... Well, he doesn't use that word, but he says eternal, eternal destruction or the unfaithful. Well, where is it? Is it Second Thessalonians? Yeah, he talks about the unfaithful will inherit an eternal will go to a place of eternal destruction. So well, obviously, he's referring to what Jesus was referring to. But again, it's like you yeah, know, Jesus uses eternal too, though. Does he? Yeah, in Matthew twenty-five, Jesus uses weeping and gnashing of teeth um, when he talks about those who. Fed him and clothed him, and you know right. those who didn't. He says at the end, then he will answer them. Truly, I say to you, to the extent depart that you not, from he me. He says, these will go away into eternal punishment. Okay, but the righteous into right. eternal life. So there you go. To me, there is a so, sense of like I would almost see it as annihilation because it's like there's no place for that on the new heavens and new earth. And so to me, it's like isn't like getting totally just annihilated? Like I mean, you're you're ceasing yeah. to exist. There's some strings that would say annihilationism is heretical. Like it's actually not right biblical at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if I would go that far, but 
I think the tra- it, and there's actually it's like kind of semantics because you could say if you're if hell is a is a trajectory where you're becoming less and less human. So in a way, you are being annihilated. Right. Mm, the question but, is, does it go on for eternity? And I think this yeah. is there are some philosophical. <laughs> there it is. I knew I could do it. <laughs> There are some philosophical implications for this that are worth maybe fleshing out a bit with the idea of the nature of hell. I think, and we can come back to it if we want, but we've covered a good bit of the scriptural ground as far as at least developing and tracing the idea and where it came from. And But as far as when we talk about hell and the nature of what actually it is and what that looks like into eternity, you know, this is a debate within circles. And, uh, I mean, on one hand, you have... What's the traditional view? Which take a lot of the imagery in the, that the Bible uses and depicts as very literal. Like it's well, there's fire, there's I don't know flesh if, is melting right. all day. All I don't know. There, there's a stream of it, but the traditional view would just oh oh I see would just say more the the main idea is that it's eternal, conscious. it's eternal conscious torment. Yes, like right. that idea. Right. I think people would still acknowledge that there's imagery. But but it's eternal. It's at least that. And yeah. A kernel of conscious torment. And when Jesus, in his parable with Lazarus, I think one thing where he talks yeah. about him being in the fire, I think right. one thing to keep in mind is like, it is a parable. Jesus is not affirming this is the reality of that place. He's using it as an example in a parable. And where I was going was, okay, on the tradi- one hand you have the traditional view, yeah. which is... Eternal conscious yeah. torment. Doesn't necessarily mean you're... You're not saying that that means a literal fire burning flesh right. off but you i think they would say whatever reality is it's certainly not going to be better than that right <laughs> you know i think that's the key thing but it's eternal it's right. eternal in its nature versus uh a, annihilationism which there's more than one form of that but the idea that at some point the people or the, if they're even still that in hell they are annihilated they cease to exist so right. in that sense it's not eternal in a conscious state. Now, yes, you, that's a good distinction to make, right? Now, you but there, but there's going to be arguments that you know that's not a good position. They're going to say no. This is what Scripture says. So, and we can look at some of that if we want. But I think the main idea here is that there is a d- distinction, um, which a, a lot of it goes back to your understanding of the human, what a human being is. Yes. No, that's important to say because again, if we want to get. Mm. I mean, let's take the end of the story. Okay. The resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. Mm-hmm. One to... One to eternal life in new heavens and new earth, and one to eternal death or whatever. The second death. Is the second called? death, yeah. right. So a good question to ask, a good philosophical question to ask is, in the lo- within the logic of the scriptures that bear witness to reality... If the wicked are resurrected and then assigned to a reality that is eternal, I guess for the annihilationists, like what's the point of them being resurrected if they're going to be annihilated one day? So to me, the resurrection of, it, it, of both the wicked and the righteous affirms an eternal that you would go. You were going to your your eternal destiny as humans. Mm-hmm. In one, you become more and more human. In the other, you become less and less. Yeah. But so then the question for the less and less side is: Is there a point in time in the eternal state and can you that be, you that you yeah. cross over to where you're no longer human anymore? And is that what they mean by annihilation, or is it more of 
like ceasing to exist ceasing altogether. to exist altogether like vapor you're vaporized essentially i think the annihilation language comes from revelation where it's like was thrown into the lake of fire and that's the second death and it was like and he was destroyed in the lake of fire sure but then we have to talk about what's what does it mean to be destroyed in the lake of fire right, right. You know? there's language on both sides there's language of destruction there's also language of eternal suffering and punishment right so which could be both you play, the you same way you don't want to be no no, no no you don't but i think the i think to a textual comment on, I guess against the uh, against the annihilation view, is that whatever hermeneutic we apply to eternal destruction, in specifically in Matthew twenty five, where Jesus says these will go into eternal destruction, we also have to apply that hermeneutic to the other side, who right. go to eternal life. The word's right. the same. So if you can't hold on that text, oh, this is not really eternal. This is just temporary but oh the eternal life is yeah just just for a fun devil's advocate no pun intended could you argue though the word destruction there destruct if something is destroyed eternally it's like it's it's gone forever mm. just i mean i'm just playing i'm oh, sorry advocate. actually well, the, no, word, no, no, no. the word there's eternal punishment my bad so, okay that, that, that changes the, yeah, yeah, yeah and that one is eternal punishment so okay. that's different oh, okay destruction is used elsewhere but in this passage well, but it's it's used all within the same universe. Yes. So it's talking about the same reality, but Jesus says punishment, eternal punishment. Right. And then on one hand, and then eternal life. Does Jesus ever say eternal destruction? Or is that just Paul? I don't know. That would be a great question. I'm not sure. I don't think honestly it doesn't I don't think it matters. I think maybe we need to talk about what does it mean for something to be destroyed and what does it mean for something to be punished? Well, I think part of it we have to go back to this idea of what the human is. Like as a human, we're talking about humans in a certain state. Yeah, human beings They're, are not just physical matter, and this is where we begin to have to we we, we need to incorporate the idea of humans made in the image of God. Right. And as a human, you have right. a vocation right. that you're called to. And at some point, I think that, and this is maybe where we have to speculate a bit, but that can be irrevocably lost it's in some, that state. Yes, and yeah. then and then if. You you now are ruined. You're you're at some point you are so far gone that there is no hope of coming back. Sure. And I think that's where C.S. Lewis goes with this idea that you know at the end of the day hell is locked from the inside. Yeah, there are only two types of people. Yeah, right. Those who say to God, "Thy will be done," and those to whom God says, thy "In the end, thy will be done." Right. So, I think if we really getting philosophical again, and this kind of ties into our problem of evil conversation. Hell is necessary if you really want to hold to a true idea of free will. Like if you believe God gives humans true free will to truly reject in the end that he will not make anyone turn to him. He, if he's not going to make you, yeah. if, that, if, if we believe that, then hell has to be Hell is table. a necessary mm -hmm. uh, sorry. Uh, consequence of that choice. I looked it up. It, Jesus does say at one point, "Fear that fear the one who can destroy you in hell." So mm -hmm. there's okay. that's when he okay. destroyed him. In there, just interesting. Cool. Which who's the one he, who he's talking about? Fear the one. Is it Satan or is it? I would God? assume he's talking about. I would assume he's talking about God. Like okay. fear. Don't fear. Don't. He's saying don't fear humans. Fear the one who can actually, like. Yeah. Right now, they they yeah. someone who not just kill you, but someone who can. So maybe there's another question. I don't know. We're we're kind of bouncing around. Does God send people to hell? No. In a way, okay, I would, I would want to answer that two ways. Paul tells us the wages of sin is death. So then in a, in a very real the way... The thing you earn 
Yeah, it's almost both of these things tied together. People will walk straight into hell themselves Mm. by the life they live. But that will also be God's judgment and stamp on this is the life you have lived. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So God will... It's Honors not, your choice. Yeah, he, he, he's a respecter of agency. Sure. So at the end of the day, there is a sense of judgment. that, And there will, I think there will be remorse. There will be... I mean, it's not like they're going to be blind to their own nature. I don't think they're, they're going to you know, live in a fantasy world. I think it's going to be, for those people... A, the reality will set in of what you have done and what you've become and who you've spurned. And, but I do think that there is very much, it's not the image that so often is in many people's heads of God standing there, just dragging people and throwing them into hell. Like this idea of vindicative God is not really, it's not his character. No, but it it is this hell has to be on the table for, Right for truth for if we want to hold free will we we have to have although we haven't had that conversation on the good brew of whether free will is real but you know but I mean with the problem of evil we would but, yeah, we, but, we, we have know, touched I don't that. know where this episode will fall in that oh sure release, sure but it'll be probably directly right after okay. perfect so listen to the last episode yeah. if you <laughs> we're not committing you know yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think but I think what we're illuminating here is the reality of hell bears witness to the seriousness of evil yeah. That's I mean, what this is about. Yeah. And that God, in the world that he has created, he's created such an affair, such a state of affairs where because we have freedom, we have the we have the option, you know, there's the possibility of right. there being an anti-created space. Right. So just as God created the heavens and the earth and created humans to be his partners with him in creating a flourishing world at the same time he created the possibility of there to be a portion of reality that would be forever in the opposite direction of that direction and he gives humans cho- the choice yeah. yeah of which reality do you want to be a part of which ultimately do you want to partner with me and create a flourishing world which happens under my leadership yeah. or not which ultimately and, is a loving thing. God's saying, right. like, I'm honoring the way you lived your life. Right. Yeah. And so really hell, you know, not to to disintegrate all of the caricatures it has, even though a lot of the characters aren't helpful, I think it, it is, uh, unfortunately, but it's, it's a necessary part of reality. Right. And the good news is, is that you don't have to go there. Yeah. You don't. Because why? Because Jesus saves. (laughs) Seriously, I mean, that's the thing. It's, you know, a lot of religious systems have the same shelf space that Christians and, you know, for this reality. But I think it's really um, left to our own devices. We don't create a world that thrives and flourishes. Now, I think the unfortunate thing, though, is that a lot of i mean I, I think we've talked about this before this is definitely you know my story originally a lot of quote unquote you know salvation comes from people just wanting to avoid hell so like let's I talk like, about that react the the visceral reaction that cuz that many of us probably had at some point in our yeah, life like, about i don't want to go to hell so yeah i'm, right. I'm going with you jesus yeah. but exactly. again that's to that's to primarily think of hell as a spatial destination yeah. and not to think of it as a a type of reality that which you are becoming a part of now, right now, and so that's that's I think that distinction is helpful. Is 
the visceral reaction many people have to the idea of hell, and that maybe that being the only reason that they become a Christian or whatever, mm-hmm. there's something true to affirm there that the reaction you're having is very normal. Yeah, and that's a good thing. Pay right. attention to that. I mean, because but there's don't shock. be fooled, right? That now that you've signed the dotted line. Right, <laughs> you're on your ticket, your golden ticket to the right, heavenly right. gate. I've got a the golden, golden but that that you are now good to go. Right, you may very well be in the very same place you were. Yeah, if if you're not really trying to answer the question of how am I becoming right. Think about the a more of a hell, heavenly creature as yes. I'm orienting my life to Jesus. That's the key thing by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. That's the key thing. So. Think about the way Jesus uses Gehenna. Right again, back to the Valley of Ben Hinnom when he says. To these people, you will be tossed into the valley of Ben Hinnom. What's going on there again? Is this is a valley where people have oriented their life around wickedness, right? And is the, that's the get the orientation picture image is right. helpful. They've oriented their lives yeah. around. But there's certainly shock when he starts saying this is going to be a place where the 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 your carcasses will be food for the beast and the birds. There's shock by people would wake up and I don't want to go there. Right. That's not where I want to be. But just because you don't want to go there is not necessarily indicative of whether or not right. you are on the path there. Right, right. Right? But the point is, he's waking you up to, hey, you should not orient your life around no. these things because that's the natural... It's yes. it's both, at the same time, it's the natural result. The natural result of what you're doing will be that, and also God will allow that to happen. Yes. Now, can we say this too? Like Along those lines... Just because like you sped yesterday and didn't ask for like forgiveness for speeding, like it's not like every time you sin, hell. Like it's it doesn't work that way. Which I feel like a lot of times in our minds, it so often wants to work that way. What do you mean? The idea of like, oh, if I sin and oh, I'm going to hell right now, and it's like no, like if you're on a trajectory in your life of like you're trying to look like Jesus, you're going to fall. But it doesn't mean sure. like every time you fall, like that yeah. punching a ticket think, to hell. Think- Don't live in fear of hell as a Christian. Yeah, because you've been as Paul, you've been transferred into another reality already, and so yeah. the call is to live into the reality you've been called, you've already been transferred into. Yeah, yes. Um, and you're on a, you're, you're a, been transferred into reality. Your trajectory is now different. Yeah, and then that doesn't mean there aren't going to be, you know, your path is going to. It's not a straight line. No, but it's all due north. Hey, everybody! This is Michael from the future. I'm actually jumping in here to say that this conversation actually was too good and unfortunately a little too long to chop down for one episode, so we decided to break this up into an unintentional two-parter, so that is actually just the first half of this hell episode, so (laughs) there's a joke there somewhere. So this is a two-parter, and this second episode, the second half of this will come out after this episode. So hopefully we did not leave you on too much of a cliffhanger, but uh, hopefully it leaves a seedbed for what's to come in the next episode. If you have any questions, again, reach out to us on social media at Good Brew Podcast. You can also go on our website at thegoodbrewpodcast.com, email us, ask us questions, however you want to do that. Also, please leave a review. Don't forget to do that on Apple Podcasts or however you are listening to your podcast. Reviews are always nice. They mean a lot. They help us out. But without further ado, until the second half of this episode, as Justin Harris would say, goodbye from the good brew. Mm-hmm.